0: Season 6 of Let's Talk About Sex is proudly presented by Audio Technica, who are a huge supporter of Australian creators and whose equipment is a big reason why the show sounds great. Each episode this season, we're giving away a pair of ATH-SQ1TW wireless earbuds to a listener. Head to com/win to enter. Hi, everyone. Just letting you know that I'm going to be recording Let's Talk About Sects' first ever live episode at Woodford Folk Festival on the 1st of January, and it will come out on the main feed sometime after that date. It's going to be an episode about the 12 tribes, who used to run a very successful stall at Woodford every year. Their green juice was available in the festival store last year, when I also presented a couple of packed-out sessions about cults and conspiracies. It turns out it's quite a lot of work to put together a live episode. Joe and I are rehearsing how to do the musical interludes from a stage and how to tailor the story for the audience and to a particular time limitation, which is something I'm not accustomed to. So this month I'm bringing you a couple of interview episodes to make sure you're still getting some new Let's Talk About Sex content while I prepare for the live event, and I know you're going to enjoy these. Today's episode is a chat with Matson and Tawny Browning, who spoke with me from Arizona. Matson is a law enforcement officer who, along with his wife Tawny, spent years undercover infiltrating various hate groups in an effort to research and report on the rise of hate crimes and white supremacy in the United States. Together they wrote the book The Hate Next Door, Undercover within the New Face of White Supremacy, which was released earlier this year. As the US Department of Homeland Security issues warnings about the increased threats of domestic terrorism and targeted violence. This issue is not getting less urgent. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This episode deals with issues that some people may find disturbing related to racism and hate crimes. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. Matson Browning is an internationally recognized authority on the inner workings of white supremacy groups. As an undercover detective for more than 2 decades in Arizona, he thought he knew what hate looked like. That is until he got a front-row seat. For more than 25 years, Browning has been infiltrating, documenting, and disrupting white supremacy movements from the inside, gaining an intimate vantage point to the KKK, skinheads, border militias, proud boys, and other white power groups as they organised and grew their ranks including police force and military veterans. Tawny Browning was the supervising and casting producer for A&E's Escaping Polygamy, a series documenting the trials and struggles of individuals attempting to leave the cult life of polygamy. For years, Tawny has been assisting her husband in the investigations of numerous skinhead organisations. She supported Matson's work adopting fake IDs and ideologies, seeking the arrest of hate group participants. What others dismissed as fringe groups, Matt quickly recognised as large and interconnected organisations permeating every facet of American society, effectively spreading their dangerous and repugnant rhetoric at unprecedented speeds. Now, with the violent polarisation in our communities and an increase in hate crimes, the threat posed by these toxic organisations feels as acute as ever. So let's hear from Matt and Tony. Great to meet you, both. Thanks so much for making the time to come on the show and tell us about your work. Can you first up tell me a bit about your background and how you originally became involved with this subject?
2: Well, I am ai was a Mesa police officer, I born and raised in Phoenix, uh, got hired by Mesa Police Department, started working gangs, and then my involvement in the white supremacy world came when a skinhead tried to kill me. And that piqued my interest Is like, yeah, maybe I should know what's going on here. And that that opened up the doors, the windows, the gaps, everything into what we've now created and done.
1: It kind of made it really personal really fast.
0: Yeah, I can imagine so. And, and so then how did this turn into your book, The Hate Next Door?
2: Wow. Well, The Hate Next Door is actually the journey through, um, I think it's through both of our times doing white supremacy and, and cultish work you know, and it's 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 the story of how our family was brought into it and how we've combated it. It's the story of, you know, how Tani was there to support and take care of. And and um, really, I mean, I'll say it till the day I die, Tani saved my life numerous times because of what she did for me. Um, and then it also talks about law enforcement that's involved in the white supremacist world and military and, and politicians. And it's just just this crazy journey through our lives. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody enjoys the hate next door.
1: It kind of started as a thing as for at least for me is I wanted it was a therapeutic process. I wanted him to be able to get all of these stories and thoughts and and intelligence out of his mind. And we could get it on paper. But as we as we wrote it, it was like this is for everybody. This isn't just therapy. This is things that we need to tell the world.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And kind of get digging into a bit of what you've actually done and, and the content of the book, you, you've used fake IDs and assumed hateful ideologies to infiltrate these groups, which sounds incredibly dangerous. So I was wondering how how did you gain access? And you also alluded to this already a little bit, but how has this work impacted your personal lives and your family's lives?
2: Well, I, I think we gain access by just doing what, kind of like what we're doing now, we're talking where you know my access was gained by I had questions and so I I went and met with the leaders of these organizations and asked questions and I and with each, each organization you twist your question a little bit more to meet what they want and what they perceive and that's how I got my start in the undercover world yeah, yeah and, and and so you just you know but but how do you I th- you know I think maybe for the next book we'll go more into depth on um Maybe the how psychologically you get out of this stuff, because it's like in, in any cult work you do, um, you, you have to take on the persona, you have to take on the, the ideology of that organization. And so when we go to the Klan meetings or a skinhead meeting or whatever white supremacist meeting I was going to, you have to take on their views and their ideologies and, and spew out the rhetoric and, and everything else. And that's why when I come home, that's That's you know Tony's I mean her role there was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it just it sounds to me like, yeah, it must be incredibly difficult to have to engage with this you know very hateful content and embody the it's like an actor, right? like believe, believe that you actually are buying into this rhetoric, and then so you're coming home and and Tony, you're kind of bringing him back down to earth again.
1: Well, it's very interesting that you say that because it's like, it is very much like method acting. You, you completely, it, your life depends on the fact that you're believable. So he was method acting all of this all the way through and then he'd come home and it, it was a long while, but you know, that stuff seeps in bit by bit. So we've kind of been through this cultist process, you know, that other people, they're, you're in the water, you know, you're drowning in, in the water before you even knew you got your toe wet. So, it, you know, it was, yes, it was a process to make sure that he didn't become the monsters
2: that he was fighting.
0: And so what can you tell me about some of the most common misconceptions around white supremacy?
2: Oh, shoot. White supremacists are hypocrites. You know, they're, they're, a lot of the rules they have are are ridiculous and bogus. You know, they have a, a thing called the 88 precepts, and these are 88 rules that you have to live by. You can't do any work with a Jewish-owned company. You can't work or go to school or associate with Hispanic or black or or minority individuals. Well, come on, that's impossible to do. And so, you know, we don't use drugs, but they do use drugs. It's it's just a hypocritical organization, and it's it's... You know, you get so brought into the way of the thinking and, and and the rehearsing of everything in your mind going over and over and over. And next thing you know, that's all you think about. That's all you consume your time with that. And so, you know, I, I think misconceptions about white supremacy is pick one. It's, they're all misconceptions.
1: It's it's kind of crazy with what's going on in our world right now is that when he's talking about the the white nationalist movement is so hypocritical white supremacists are jumping on the Hamas bandwagon the terrorist bandwagon and rejoicing because there is so much atrocity towards the Jewish people right now so but they they don't like Muslims either so it's just an opportunistic
2: yeah. They're, they're just going with the lesser of two evils right now. Okay. We can wipe out the Jews. I'm with Hamas or okay. We can wipe out Hamas, the Muslims. Well, I'm with the Americans. And and that's just right now they're extremely opportunistic. They're just sitting back and waiting for the opportunity of doing something here in the States.
1: Nothing seems to really, really stick. And even with, if we go way back into history with the Klan, they were anti Catholic, not just anti black and Jew. So it, it, it's it, like you said; it, you just can't even really follow it.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's
0: hypocrisy a, at
2: its best. It's a rabbit hole that's not fun to go down.
0: Yeah, I can I can barely imagine. And you mentioned the kind of eighty eight rules to live by. And so, for l- listeners who might be unaware, there's a pretty specific reason why there would be eighty eight of those, right? And this relates to yeah,
2: eighty eight is eight. The eighth letter of the alphabet is H, so is Heil Hitler. And, which is another thing they go back in. And, and, and when you talk about cultish mindsets and, and cults, I mean, really, these guys praise and love and bless Adolf Hitler. And he is their their supreme being, supreme leader. And whatever Hitler said to do, they will do it. And, you know, it's that whole mindset.
1: Lots of, you know, Hitler was right. You know, we're hearing some of that rhetoric today. And if if you're not white, you ain't right. It's lots of that.
0: Yeah. And so in a way, because I was going to ask how these groups operate similarly to cultic organisations, because, you know, this is a podcast about cults, but uh, I was wondering if it's like, are they placing Hitler as a kind of a god figure and then their local leader of their particular group that they're involved in is almost interpreting his word and telling them how how to live?
2: You know, what? that's a great question because it goes right into the hate next door. I mean, one of the one of the leaders that was here in Arizona when he started the National Alliance meeting. Now, National Alliance was a, a huge organization that, you know, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, was part of the guys from the order. So David Lane and and Robert Matthews, they were all associates and members of the of the National Alliance so it's real popular. So the guy here in Arizona, what he would start his meetings with was a Hitler, um, like method acting Hitler. So he would stand up and every mannerism, every dialect, every enunciation was as Hitler himself was speaking. And, and I sat there and I was going like, this guy's a crazy. This guy's a complete nut. But what he was doing was the same thing Hitler would do so well, and that's rally up his forces and motivate and, and bring the energy into the room. And then they would go out and they would commit the atrocities that they do. And so that's all he was doing here. But, yeah, they would take Hitler and make him their spokesman, their person, their God, their, their – they can't make him the front man because we're supposed to hate Hitler – but they would behind the scenes, he's the puppet master telling everybody what to do.
1: Well, and there, there were, we wrote about it in the Hate Next door. There was a time that um, I, I was invited to a Hitler well kind of invited by Matt to a Hitler birthday party. Mm-hmm. And so they're still celebrating his birthday. It's very much esteemed and revered time. and it pretty crazy. And if you see some of one of the guys that's in the book, also J.T. Reddy, who was a huge Hitler lover, And if you watched him when he was speaking, though it was in modern times, you could see that he was taking much of his mannerisms from Hitler himself.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, from the outside, it all does sound pretty wild. Like, why does anyone come to believe in all of this um, contradictory, extreme sort of ideology? And so I was wondering, Matt, as someone who kind of worked your way in from the outside, what does the radicalization process look like in these groups?
2: Well, I had to come up with a backstory of the reasons why I had my hatred in my life. A lot of the people that I was undercover with, they grew up with it. They grew up with it in their homes. They grew up with it in their schools. They grew up with it with their family. And the indoctrination goes back to the time that they're two, four or five years old. You know, when I walked into it, I had to make up all that, the story behind it. And so the indoctrination is indoctrination. You take a piece of truth and you twist it so you can still grasp on that truth, but you're twisting it and molding it in the way that you as the leader want them to believe. Because only with them believing the way you do is how you build up your armies and how you build up your your people to do violent acts. And so the indoctrination was just slowly... You know, um, here in Arizona, immigration issue, immigration, immigration, immigration. Then you throw in the Jews. And so it's immigration, immigration, throwing some more Jews, immigration, throwing the, in, in the blacks. And so all of a sudden, all this stuff is put around everything. And it goes back to what Tani said. Wait a minute. None of these people are white. So we should be going after all of them. And that's where a lot of the hatred is started by just a little bit, little bit listening to the music listening to the speakers getting online going down the rabbit holes and associating only with those people that hate and and that's how a lot of it is
1: yeah it was like so weird when he started out and I wasn't really involved I was kind of taking care of hearth and home he would come and tell me some of the ideology and what they believed and I would say but that doesn't make sense you know I would try to think and he's like stop Stop trying to make this make sense. It's hate. It's emotional, and it will never make sense. And we don't want it to.
0: Yeah, and that's really similar to a lot of the cultic groups I I look at as well. You know, you've got friends and relatives outside trying to like argue logically with people who are indoctrinated into these groups, and it's actually not the way to reach them because they're 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 on a much more emotional level. And so, yeah, that feels really familiar. I think probably to many of our listeners as well. And so most cultures that we but we talk about that at the end of the
1: book is you know exactly what you're saying I'm so glad that you're telling your audience that as well is you know don't don't try to tell them they're wrong just listen to them and hear them and have the conversations their minds will unravel I mean if with that kind of and that's our message is love is the answer even though not trying to be simple or simplistic or trite but it really it really is the answer. It is the way that we unravel that brain and get out of those cultish way of thinking.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that's something at the edge of my mind as well to ask you about is that, you know, in in a lot of the cults that I look at, even when their belief systems seem quite extreme and hard to get your head around, there are actually really good people at heart involved in them who have been indoctrinated into a belief system that I think they wouldn't you know, they wouldn't be following if it weren't for that particular upbringing or for, you know, whatever had drawn them in. So are you seeing good people in these groups who have just been led astray?
2: Oh, wow. Now, I, Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that that hate is based upon, hate is an emotion. And so in order to feel the emotion of hate, something has to happen to you in your life to to get that angry, to get that upset, to get that motivation in you. And, and it could happen to anybody. That's why it's called the hate next door. And your neighbor could could be fine one day, but all of a sudden, you know, my backstory was all my equipment was I had a landscaping company and all my equipment was stolen by the Mexicans who then took it down to Mexico, and now I hated the Mexicans and the immigration and everything else. And that can happen to anybody. And and so I think what we see in hate is if is if yes, there are people. Who get wrapped into it before they know what's going on. Yes, there are people who, who maybe don't necessarily want to be there, but because of something happened in their life, they're there. But to say they're good people, I mean, you have good and you have bad, you have love and you have hate. And so I think, I think we all as adults can understand the emotion behind the hate. And I think that's what we need to work out is where it's coming from.
1: Yeah. I have personally seen good people. I mean, I I'm quicker to say that I think and you know, I haven't worked the streets like Matt has, but I have been involved in in quite a few of mm-hmm. these folks' lives and I would absolutely say that they're good people. And sometimes it would be, you know, if their sister or mother or aunt can't reach them, maybe I can. And we have had success with that. So it's I mean, good people to the point that I want them around my children, maybe not. Their life experiences have taken them to a place that I'm not sure that I would want to introduce that into my children's lives. But some of them, yes.
0: And I guess maybe the the term good people is a bit misleading. Like we're thinking actually someone who may have been a good person had they not lived a life that that led them into this ideology, right? I think that's
2: nine out of ten of them then. Yeah, I think so too. you put that definition on, I think that – that they're all good people until that one decision they made to do something wrong mm-hmm. or to hang out with a certain person or to be indoctrinated into this group.
1: Well, I got to be real honest, <laughs> real honest here and I I haven't been this honest, but it hasn't come up. But there I was a, when I first got involved, I thought it was okay to not be completely forthright about who I was and it was for the the greater good. But as I really started doing the work, I had to come to terms with myself because I did see the humanity in them. What was being objectified as, oh, he's a skinhead or, oh, he's this or that turned into this is someone's son, someone's brother, someone who he's very loved. And I see why I can see the humanity in him or her. And it, it did tear at my heart.
0: Yeah, and we do know people who, you know, have been de-radicalised and then worked against those groups uh, in the aftermath. Like, that's definitely happened. But, I mean, I think, yeah, for most listeners it's probably difficult to think of anything in this world in association with the, the word good because obviously what they're doing is incredibly hateful and quite bad.
1: <laughs> and it's an excellent question, though. I mean, you can I can think of three of the guys that you worked with already, Matt, some that that esteem him as... one guy said that his heroes were Jesus Christ and Matt Browning, which is a little crazy, but, you know, it's, you know, some of these guys are, their hearts are, are pure, as pure as you can be when they've been as black as they once were.
0: So, most of the cults I look at are fairly insular and then it's only in quite extreme examples that we see them pose a risk to those kind of outside of their circles of devotees. They're, they're mostly damaging the people who are heavily invested in it and on the inside who then have to deal with the aftermath of their involvement when they come out. And I was wondering what you could tell me about the psychology of hate crimes in these groups and how members come to act in such terrifying ways.
2: That's, you know what, we thought a lot about that recently, and I'll break it down very simply into a math equation. If you have, you know, one plus one times three equals three. And that's just, we all know that. No nope, you know, what? You one, I, actually, one <laughs> plus one is two times three is six. Yeah,
1: thank you. So the
2: answer is six. <laughs> See, I'm not good at math, but I can tell you the ideology of hate. So then if you take hate if you take the, the ideology, which is what, what you learn, and you add that with the rhetoric, which is what you say, and then you multiply that time the religion. So you multiply the ideology and the rhetoric times the religion it's going to equal violence. And that's what happens within these movements. A lot of the hate movement is religiously based. And, and that's why it's so hypocritical a lot of it is, is religiously based and it's the religion that causes people to do the most extreme things whether it's change your life or do a mass shooting. Religion can push you to do one of the, one of the two things and so the what I'm finding with hate is that in these organizations they want their members to go out and commit the crimes against people on the outside because There's nobody on the inside that, you know, there's no Jewish people who are part of their organizations or blacks or Mexicans or Muslims. They're all on the outside. And so the leader will then, you know, pull the strings so they go out and they commit their crimes on the outside. And and that's just hate. That's the way it is.
1: And when they can't find someone to hate, there's been so so many of of the cases that Matt worked were white on white crime. Yeah. So and that was shocking to me. And I'm like, why are they... You know, this is one of the things. Don't try to understand it, Tawny. But why are they beating down a white a white man? And Matt would say because he looked, he was dressing black.
2: Yeah, he dressed like a rapper, and so they're disrespecting the race.
1: Or he was he was effeminate, or he looked effeminate. I mean, so it's all subjective. It just nothing stuck.
2: He was dating a black girl, or he was dating a Vietnamese girl, or you know anything that takes away from the white white-to-white white ratio, they'll go after you.
1: And, and back to the it's that straight <clears> eugenics, <throat> they would use whatever, they, whatever worked in that hour.
0: Yeah, and when you say that the religion element is kind of what motivates a lot of the actual action and kind of the hate crime, is that because it's bringing kind of like a higher power motivation that makes them feel like it's much more um, urgent to act on it because of that religious belief? No,
2: I think the religious belief gives them hope for the afterlife. You know, if you if you go and you die in battle, then you go to Valhalla and you hang out with the Valkyries and you fight all night long, or you fight all day long and you drink and party all night. Then you wake up in the morning and you do it again. Um, I think like like why are the is the, why do the whites the white supremacists why do they hate the Jews so desperately? You know, it's They say it's because of the banking system, because they own Hollywood, because of the media. But what it boils down to is that the Jews killed Christ. And that's why the white supremacists hate the Jews. And so they go after the Jews almost, in a sense, they're taking care of Jesus. I got your back, Jesus. I'm going to go beat down these guys. And they think that they're going to die and go to heaven and be hanging out with Christ. And you know what? It's it's just not going to work out like that. Sorry, guys. And they have no fear. They have they're so indoctrinated in that, just like any other cult. They're so indoctrinated that a, a spaceship is going to come down in 1994, and everybody in San Diego is going to go up in the spaceship. And guys, it doesn't happen like that. And so you know, and that's there's no difference between that white supremacist ideology and the cultish ideology. It's it's all the same.
1: The more that you delve into it, the more you find that it is. It's like evil follows evil. And it's like the same motivation and ideology the deeper you get. I'm sure you see that in your work.
0: Yeah, and this also, uh, for sure, and this made me think again about Before we hit record, we we mentioned the Christchurch shooter, but many of these people who uh, commit these hate crimes, they're kind of framed by the media as these lone wolf type characters. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this is a big misconception that you could speak to in terms of how that might be wrong.
2: Well, the lone wolf conception is that one person is doing it, that one person goes to You know, they go to we'll just use Christchurch because we're talking about it. He goes to New Zealand and he shoots up the place and he's he's the only guy there. Now, if it was two or three people, that wouldn't be a lone wolf mentality. But the real story behind that is his indoctrination with talking to all the people. He was reading all the manifestos from before and all the things that that motivated him to do what he did. And so the lone wolf is his act. However, the indoctrination is is all kinds of people that push them into that position.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, and- I
1: think I hate the lone wolf thing, even though it's like really big, and I know that happens. But none of us act alone. None of us have uh, our our stories are not even our own. I mean, we, we're all we're all connected somehow together for good or or ill.
0: Yeah, and clearly these people are enmeshed in these. Um, situations where they are being egged on by other people and they've got a group situation going on before they go out and commit these acts. And so in the US, the Department of Homeland Security has issued warnings about the increased threats of domestic terrorism and targeted violence. So I'm wondering, how does the current political climate play a role in the rise of hate crimes?
2: Have you watched the news lately? Every, every No, but nobody's getting along. Everybody's arguing. Everybody's pointing fingers. No, there's no solutions Um, A lot of the thing that motivates hate is no solution-based thinking because you don't get out of the hate unless there's a solution to what you're you're trying to go through. So people will watch the news at night. They get all spun up and all ticked off. They go to bed. They're ticked off. They dream about something at night and they're ticked off. They wake up in the morning. They're still ticked off and they turn the news back on and it motivates them to be ticked off. So I think whether it's it's the news, whether it's social media – whether it's elections, whatever it is, I think there's a lot in our communities and in our countries that we can do to stop the motivation of hate. I I know one time Australia, believe it or not, Australia was the capital for hate music. And so what you you would do is you you attack as law enforcement. And and we've worked with some amazing police in, in New South Wales. For sure amazing. Best, he's one of my best friends now. Great people. And you, you work with people who know what's going on and, and more importantly, who understand the ideology of what's behind it all. And that's how you solve the problems. That's how we solve. And unfortunately here in the U.S., okay, it's great. Well, yeah, hate's a problem. Well, hate's been a problem since 1930-something. So what are we going to do differently in 2023, 2024 to fix this problem? And I tell you right now, I'm starting the conversation. What are you willing to do? I'll tell you what I'm willing to do, but we need to have the conversation about it.
1: I think that we all have a unique, we're uniquely capable of doing something to stop this trend. I really believe that. You know, and that's looking inside ourselves. What can I do in whatever realm of space that I have and have influence over? What can I do? And we all start thinking like that. It's those small and simple things that will make a huge difference. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to have a podcast. I mean, those are those are what we are uniquely able to do. But there's something we can all do.
0: Maybe we can dig into that a little bit, and I mean, do you have kind of specific examples of what people can do on an individual or community level to better protect themselves or to uh, reach out to others who they might see falling into these ideologies?
2: I am so glad you asked that because now you're hitting on something that's very close to us because it's our family. You know, we have kids, and, and we we love our kids, and we support our kids. And we have we have two sons that play football, not Australian football, not rugby, American real football. <laughs> and so they play football. And one of our sons just graduated from high school last year. And at the beginning of the season, they were horrible. They, they lost over three year period of time. They, they won maybe three games. They were, they were horrible. But the coach brought the team together. And he put them all in the room and he said, nobody leaves this room until you understand who the Russian kid is on the team. What's up with the black guys on the team? What is up with the Mormon or the Catholic or the Baptist that's on the team? What is up with your teammates that you can relate to, that you can understand? And what is there that you can share from yourself to help them understand you? So our son told us that after a few hours, you know, they, they went out and... They went on that season and they took state and they took state in the hardest division there was in Arizona only because they knew each other. They yeah. were successful because they knew each other. And that's all we have to do.
1: And so we've seen it work on our community level. We've seen what it what a really inspired coach can do because we're talking children from, and I call them children, but kids from all socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, things Kids that really should not, you know, normally understand each and, and really get into each other's head and, and have each other's backs. And they did. And they were family and they still are family.
2: And it starts at that age, at that grade level. It starts before that. When you build teams, you build friendships. And then something happens when they leave high school and go on to colleges and universities. And I think that is where we as a community need to become involved in, in what is going on, whether it's with the churches, the synagogues, the mosques, whatever it is. We, right. we all need it. We all have a part.
1: And I cannot tell you how um, parents can't always reach their children. Um, we would hope that we could. But sometimes it takes a coach or a teacher or a good podcast to reach our children. And that's where we can all make a difference because our children are I'm sorry I keep going but I, it's just so much in my soul our children are at risk they are targeted because they are vulnerable and they are open to some of this kind of rhetoric if they're if they don't have a space or a place some place that they belong and that that's where that's where we all come in
0: yeah absolutely and that's really that's such a beautiful story about this coach and the uh, football team, a really good example. And I guess then at a, at a higher level, do you have any opinions on particular changes to policy media coverage or other societal approaches that you think could help address this issue more effectively?
2: I had somebody tell me once, Matt, if somebody asks you your opinion, keep your mouth shut. So I, I'm not going to though. I'm going to tell you what I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot can be done. I, I, we as adults are not setting the example. You know, in po- politics alone, we're not setting the example. We're sitting there yelling at each other. We're not getting along. We're not, we're not, so, ha- we don't create solutions to a problem. Everything's either far left or far right. So we need to stop that because the kids are watching it. As, as far as our leadership goes, it's the same thing. We need to come up with solutions. We need to sit down and not think that, oh, I'm a senator, so, you know, I'm the greatest thing ever. No, you're not. You're an elected official that needs to talk to the people who elected you. And and we need to be heard and people need to be heard because when you're not heard is when you have your anger come in. And it starts that whole cycle of anger. And once anger sets in, you know, then violence isn't too far behind. Um, I think there's examples all over the place. Social media is a joke.
1: I, I just feel like if you... We are smart. We are smart as human beings in our humanity and who we are. We're smart. We can come up with solutions. So much of the problem is our agendas. So we are not going to find a solution if we have an agenda. So those agendas have to be left at the door. And the only agenda is a better community a better space a better country a better world and it sounds so big and trite but it's just really simple leave leave your agendas at the door let's think tank this we can we can come up with solutions
2: unfortunately we have to leave it to a high school football team to do it because they, if they can do it on a high school football team why can't we do it you know and and so you take it from the team to the to the to the community from the community to the state from the state to the national levels. I mean, it's, it's really ridiculous that we, you know, we tell kids all the time, listen to me, mom, well, maybe we should listen to the kids.
0: Yeah. I think those are all really important areas to think about and zooming back in on those who, who we do see getting involved in these types of groups, uh, what has your research told you about the demographics of those who, who are involved and, and then those who per- perpetrate hate crimes?
2: I, I really wish I could tell you that if, if a person comes from a, a split family with an income below this amount that drives a Ford pickup is going to be involved in, a, in, in hate, it's not true. I've, I've, had, I've worked undercover with uh, with a skinhead whose, whose mother was a brain surgeon, whose father was an attorney. I, I know skins I've worked with whose, whose family are professors and, and, and high school teachers. Educators, I know politicians that are involved in white supremacy. I, I religious figures and leaders are involved in it. I, I, I really can't. All I can tell you is what Tani told you earlier, is that we need to give these kids the opportunity to make a decision and give them a football or a lacrosse stick or a rugby ball or whatever it is, and and that's where you take away one of the one of the most violent skinheads I know. I put him away in in prison for a home invasion. Um, He was one of the smartest guys. He was eloquent. He could speak. He was a good, he could, he could motivate people. And one of the turning points in his life was when he was in high school and he didn't make the baseball team. And that pushed him to go with these other people. And now his life's basically, you know, he's a convicted felon. He's a hater. He's a racist. And, and he hasn't changed so far.
1: You know, I just that's one of those th- misconceptions that we think about so much is I thought everyone was like a knuckle dragging, can't string two sentence together, you know, hard drinking, loving guy with a shaved head. It just wasn't that way. Some of them could really speak the king's English in ways that were quite scary because they somehow made sense of something that's insensible.
0: It's so interesting to hear you say that because I think I probably still had some of those misconceptions in my mind, even though I know that people always uh, talk to me about, you know, I would never end up in a cult and it's only a certain type of person who ends up in a cult. And I'm constantly telling them that is absolutely not the case. There are highly intelligent people. There are people from all walks of life who end up in these groups. So it, it, it makes absolute sense when you tell me that. And I think, well, I wonder, I suppose, about just the the fragmentation of society, which we've been talking talking about a little bit is people are finding communities in places which turn out to be dangerous either to themselves or both themselves and the outside world. If we had more, you know, community to offer them in society, more positive community, maybe that would also help too.
1: Well, I love that you said that because my son is in um, med school to be a pediatrician, and he said that they're finding that the polarization of our children is the children that were taught to just be quote unquote normal have no space. You either have to be to the left or to the right to even find a home. And we have to create that space so that they're not looking for a home in places that we don't want them to look.
0: Yeah, that really makes sense. And I think that might have brought me to the end of the questions I had for you, even though I could come up with so many more, but you know, where can our listeners learn more about this subject and about your work?
1: I really hope that they will pick up, a, it was our goal and, and dream, I would say, is for everyone to pick up the book, just because it opens up your eyes to things that you did not know existed. I had no idea growing up the way that I grew up about anything white supremacist ever. And um, it was all around us in ways that I could never have known had my husband not chosen to go into that line of work and there's solutions and there's things to look for so that we can keep our loved ones out of danger. So, um, you can pick up the book anywhere, the places that books are sold. I, I, Amazon Barnes and Noble. Um, and then of course you can. Check us out at com. That's M A T T N T A W N I.com.
2: And then I got, I just got to say something is that when you, when you're talking about cults. um, the cults, I think actually I think cults have gotten a bad rap because everybody locks them into one little thing and, and they use you know Jim Jones or they use the San Diego or they use all these big things that have happened. That's not how it is. I mean, you can have a cult that could be three people to, to three hundred people. And and I tell you what, I'm gonna brag about Tawny here for a minute. There's nobody that knows religious cults better than Tawny. You know, she's worked with these polygamists. They've talked to her. She understands. She can see. She can tell you all the different things about these cults. And I, I had no idea until I started working with Tani and Escaping Polygamy that, you know what? These guys are teaching white supremacist ideologies and white supremacist rhetoric. And it all comes together. It uh, The cult world is so big that I think we really need to keep our eyes open to it because, If we want to save the world, we'll say one cult at a time. I think we need to start looking at how religion is affecting the minds of people, how um, how we need to understand what people are saying, how we need to have solutions to what people are saying and how we need to have things in line to where people can come together and talk. And that's why we wrote The Hate Next Door is we just want people to talk. And it's not saying that my neighbors are are, are haters or your neighbors are a hater, but it's saying that anybody can be a hater. And I hope that you can read the book and you can recognize the signs, the tattoos, the symbols that will help you identify a person and not run away from them. But, hey, dude, what's up?
1: It's Here's hoping that your neighbor is not a hater.
2: Yeah, I hope your neighbor is not a hater.
1: Let's <laughs> keep us all safe.
0: I hope so too. And so all the links to where you can find the book will be in the show notes, just click through and you can find it from there and the link to your website as well. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you think is important to mention?
1: I I think you hit it. And I really appreciate you. Uh, This was very enjoyable. We're
0: thankful that you had us on. You're doing good work.
2: Great work. Keep it up.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. That's really kind of you. It's been an absolute pleasure. My thanks to Matt and Tawny for speaking with me for this episode. And as I mentioned, you can find links to their work in the show notes. You can access early and ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, Patreon.com/LTASPod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. When you get your copy of The Hate Next Door, you can also grab a copy of my book, Do As I Say. That links in the show notes too. This episode of Let's Talk About Sex was produced by me, Sarah Steele. Matt Brazzle did the editing and mixing, and the music was by Joe Gould. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 6 of the show. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, be sure to head to audio-technica.com.au to check out their range of headphones and turntables, and mics that'll make your remote working setup on point. For every episode this season, a lucky listener will win a pair of ATH-SQ1TW wireless earbuds, Head to www.ltaspod.com win to enter. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support with or donate to cult information and family support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you are someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia, or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention at IASP.info. Catch you again next episode.